This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu. So good evening and welcome. I'm Linda Jasinski, and I serve as the director of Villanova's Center for Spirituality and Discernment in the Office of Campus Ministry. And we're delighted to be hosting this, special, this special event this evening. I would also like to thank St. Thomas of Villanova Parish and our Mother of Good Counsel Parish for co-sponsoring tonight's lecture. I have the honor of introducing Father Jim Martin, a Jesuit priest, author, and culture editor of America, the National Catholic Magazine, and of course, the official chaplain of the Colbert Report. <laughs> Tonight, Father Martin will be sharing reflections from his new book, Between Heaven and Mirth, Why Joy, Humor, and Laughter Are at the Heart of the Spiritual Life which was named one of the best books of 2011 by Publishers Weekly. His talk will be followed by a short question and answer session, and then Father Martin will be signing his book at the back of the church. We are grateful to the Villanova University Bookstore for making some of his books available for purchase at that time. It is with great pleasure that we welcome Father Martin home tonight for he is a native son who was born in Plymouth Meeting, Pennsylvania. He graduated from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. After working for six years in corporate finance with General Electric, he entered the Society of Jesus in 1988. He has served in a variety of settings, including hospice, an outreach program with inner city gang members, a refugee service in East Africa where he helped refugees to start small businesses as a prison chaplain, and in 1995 to 1999, he studied at the Weston Jesuit School of Theology. After his studies, he was ordained in 1999 and pronounced his final vows in 2009. Father Martin is the author of several award-winning books, including his memoir, My Life with the Saints, as well as The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, A Spirituality for Real Life, and A Jesuit Off-Broadway, Center Stage with Jesus, Judas, and Life's Big Questions. Father Martin has articles in many diverse magazines, he has commented on religion and spirituality in the national and international media and has also received various awards and honorary degrees. Besides his editorial, publishing, media work, and various speaking engagements, Father Martin somehow, in his abundant free time, assisted the Church of St. Ignatius of Loyola in New York City. That was a joke. <laughs> Sorry about that. Father Martin infuses faith into popular culture in a way that is relatable and has integrity. He shows us that laughter is great medicine and it is great for the spirit too. Let us welcome Father Jim Martin.
Now I have two microphones on, so let's see which one works the best. It's like the uh, story of the priest who goes up to the microphone and he's banging on it and banging on it and he blows into it and he says, I think there's something wrong with this thing and the congregation says, and also with you. <laughs> oh, we can't use that joke anymore, can we? I am so happy to be here. Thank you for looking at the back of my head for an hour. I want to thank you in advance. I'm so happy to be here, so happy to be home, where people can understand my accent. Um, as you heard, I am a proud Philadelphian. Uh, I was born in Plymouth Meeting, and uh, I want to introduce uh, my cousins. I'm going to ask them to stand up, who are from uh, Upper Darby. Please stand up. Uh, my cousin Marguerite went to Villanova. Her daughter Emily went to Villanova. Um, since I'm from Philadelphia, I have to say that my father was from St. Lawrence and my mother was from uh, St. Lucy's in Roxborough and I am from not actually Plymouth Meeting, but Epiphany. <laughs> now I want to start this talk uh, and I also want to say thank you to Campus Ministry at Villanova, uh, also to uh, the church here, to the pastor and the parish staff of St. Thomas of Villanova and Our Lady of Good Counsel for inviting me here uh, to be with you tonight. I'm very honored to be here. It's always one, I think maybe this one works a little better. Does it work better? Yeah, there you go, okay. Uh, I'm always um, happy to be back in Philadelphia. Uh, I did not go to the prep, sorry. <laughs> I went to Plymouth White Marsh High School. I know I'm a public, uh, but <laughs> Somehow I'm still standing before you. I want to start with a Philadelphia story. And it's a story of a man who is looking for a parish after having been away from the church for a while. Now this is a tale I can tell only in Philadelphia. And so he goes to a local parish and he says, I'd like to join. And they say, the, the pastor says, well, we have to ask you a few questions. And he says, all right, I've been studying up. And he says, the pastor says, uh, all right, how many apostles were there? And the guy says, uh, 12. It's very good. What was Jesus' mother's name? He says, uh, Mary. It's very good. Where was Jesus born? He says, um, North Wales. <laughs> and the pastor says, what are you, crazy? Get out of here. You don't know anything. He goes to the next parish. He says, I'd like to join. The guy says, well, we have some questions to ask. He says, you know, I'm familiar with that. He says, uh, where does the Pope live? Mm, Vatican City. Very good. What's the Pope's name? Mm, Benedict. Very good. Where was Jesus born? Montgomeryville. He goes, what are you, crazy? Nutcase. Get out. Goes to the next parish, he says, uh, we have to ask you a couple questions. I know, I've been studying up. He said, what was the name of the first pope? The guy says, uh, Peter. He says, good. He said, uh, where was Jesus crucified? Um, Jerusalem? Very good. And he says, um, uh, what was Mary's husband's name? Uh, Joseph. Excellent. I think you're ready to start, uh, you know, RCIA, you're welcome. And he says, oh, I'm so happy, Father. He says, but let me ask you something, a question that I couldn't get an answer to. And uh, the pastor says, what? He says, where was Jesus born? And the pastor says, 
Bethlehem. And the guy goes, I knew it was on 309 somewhere. <laughs> I can only tell that joke in Philly. Also around here is a story of a barber in a small town. Barber comes to his barber shop one day and there's a guy there wearing a long brown robe uh, and a hood. And the barber says, why are you dressed like that? And the guy says, well, I'm a Franciscan. And the barber says, oh, the Franciscans. I love all the work that you do for the poor and you live so simply. This haircut is free. And the Franciscan says, no, no, I have enough money. We do take a vow of poverty, but I have enough money for a haircut. Let me pay you. Oh, no, 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 says the barber. I insist. So the Franciscan thanks him, gives him a blessing, and he's on his way. The next day, the barber comes, and on his doorstep, there's a surprise waiting for him. A big wicker basket filled with wildflowers and a thank you note from the Franciscan. Very nice. Next day, a guy comes, uh, the barber comes to his shop, and uh, in the barber shop already is a guy wearing a long black robe. He says, uh, who are you? He says, I'm an Augustinian. <gasps> really? He said, both of my kids go to Villanova. He says, Father, this haircut is free. And the Augustinian says, no, no, we take a vow of poverty, but I have enough money for a haircut, let me pay you. And the barber says, no, I insist. So the Augustinian thanks him, gives him a blessing, he's on his way. The next day, the barber comes and there's a surprise waiting for him on the doorstep. A big wicker basket filled with uh, Trappist cheeses and jams, right? With a little thank you note. Next day, the barber comes to his uh, shop and uh, there's a guy in a clerical suit and a collar, sits down and he says, uh, why are you dressed like that? He says, well, I'm a Jesuit. He said, really? He said, I love the Jesuits. You know, I know people that went to St. Joe's and I go to old St. Joe's downtown and you guys are great. This haircut is free. And the Jesuit says, no, no. He says, uh, we do take a vow of poverty, even though people don't believe it. Um, <laughs> but I have enough money for a haircut. Let me pay you. And the barber says, no, I insist. So the uh, Jesuit says, okay. So the Jesuit thanks him, gives him a blessing, he's on his way. The next day, the barber comes to his shop, and on his doorstep, there's a surprise waiting for him. Ten more Jesuits. <laughs> and that's a true story. Now, imagine if I told you a second joke, or a third joke, or a fourth joke, right? You might start to wonder when I was going to get to the point. Right? Those jokes are funny, but get to the point. And you know, here you are in this beautiful church at an esteemed university. You know, what's the point of all those jokes? Well, those jokes really are the point of my talk, which is that joy, humor, and laughter are underappreciated values in the spiritual life and are desperately needed not only in our own personal spiritual lives, but in the life of the Catholic Church. Joy, unfortunately, in Catholic circles has a kind of disreputable reputation. And that's a real tragedy because it has a distinguished history among the saints as an essential element of spiritual health. Just think of people in your lives that you know who are joyful, right? Not just the professionally religious, but people who are really filled with God's spirit. The idea of being religious and joyful, if you know a really faith-filled person, makes sense, right? You see pictures of Mother Teresa smiling, right? You've seen pictures of uh, Blessed John Paul smiling. Think of someone like Francis of Assisi, right? It's hard to imagine him not smiling. Now, unfortunately though, uh, we, we all know too many people who seem to give the indication that being religious means being deadly serious all the time, right? 
But if you're deadly serious, you're probably seriously dead, right? <laughs> How many times have you been to Mass? Not here, of course. How many times have you been to Mass where it makes you wonder how the priest can say that he celebrates the Mass if he never cracks a smile, right? How many times have you been to Mass where the priest says, and so we join with the choirs of angels in their unending praise, holy, holy, holy Lord. And you think if that's the way the choirs of angels are singing, we are in big trouble. <laughs> a couple months ago after Easter, um, at my uh, Jesuit community, the guy who was uh, reading the Gospels opened up the book of the Gospels, looked down at the antiphon and said, Alleluia. <laughs> I thought, oh, Christ is truly risen. <laughs> I'm sure that's just the way it sounded on Easter Sunday morning. <laughs> Alleluia. Let us run to the tomb. <laughs> he has conquered death. <laughs> right? Why is that? It's crazy. Now, there's a few theories why humor is not as valued as it should be, at least in Christian circles. And the reasons start at the beginning. For example, have you ever wondered why we don't think of Jesus as a funny guy? Right? Why is that? He might strike us as clever or witty, but not really funny. Well, I asked a couple uh, scripture scholars about that. And their answers cohered around the same two themes. Number one, humor is very culture-bound and time-bound, right? So if you know someone from a different culture, right, say Latino culture or Vietnamese culture or any different culture, the humor might be different. Or if you know someone from a different country, you may not get their jokes at all, right? It's also time-bound. I mean, I say to the students, uh, Turn on a movie from the 1930s that's supposed to be funny. You might say, well, okay, I guess so. It's time-bound, too. So if it's culture-bound and time-bound, imagine how hard it is for people in 21st century Philadelphia to get jokes from 1st century Palestine. We simply don't get the jokes. But scripture scholars say that some of the parables, for example, would have been seen as funny. Not just, that's interesting, but ha-ha, funny. Or the idea that someone would have a log in their eye and criticize someone with a speck of dust in, in the other person, that would have been seen as funny. Someone building a house on sand, it's crazy. But we miss the humor because we're so far away from it, okay? Likewise, we've heard the jokes so many times that they cease to be funny. We've heard these stories so many times it's like a joke we've heard over and over. It's like one of my dad's favorite jokes. My dad died in 2001, and he used to like to tell the joke of the guy who's in jail, a very young man who's in jail, and he comes into the uh, dining room, and he sits down next to one of the older uh, inmates, and in the middle of lunch, someone jumps up and yells out, 110, everybody laughs. Another one jumps up, 26, more laughter. Third person, 395, more laughter. Finally, the young guy says to the old guy, what's going on? And the old guy says, oh, well, we've all lived with one another for so long, we know each other's jokes, so we've assigned them numbers. <laughs> so someone stands up and tells a joke, and we remember it, we all laugh. It, it kind of saves time. <laughs> and the guy says, uh, you try it. And he says, well, I don't know any of the numbers. 
He said, it doesn't matter. We have 500 jokes. Just stand up and yell out a number. We'll think of the number and we'll laugh. So the guy jumps up and says, 107. Crickets. No one laughs. Sits down. The young guy says to the old guy, what happened? The old guy says, eh, some people can tell a joke, some people can't. <laughs> so, so the point is, we've heard the story so many times, they cease to be funny. Think of the story of Nathaniel. Raise your hands if you remember who Nathaniel is. Ah, Catholic audience, good. So, so Nathaniel, Nathaniel uh, from the Gospel of John is sitting there and two guys come by and they say, we have found the Messiah, he is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? Right? Which is like saying, can anything good come from Ardmore? Right? <laughs> oh, everybody laughs at that. Why do you laugh at that? Because you haven't heard that before. What's your response when you hear, can anything good come from Nazareth? Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's a joke, right? But we miss that. And what does that little joke say? That says three things. Number one, Nathaniel had a sense of humor. That's a dig about Nazareth, which was seen as a backwater. Nazareth had only a, hundred or, uh, a couple hundred uh, people living there, just a few dozen families. It was a backwater town. Nathaniel's making fun of Jesus' hometown. Number two, the gospel writer, St. John, has a sense of humor because he preserved that story for all these years for us to smile at. And number three, most importantly, Jesus appreciates his sense of humor because what does Jesus say in response to Nathaniel? What would you expect dour, grumpy, gloomy, depressed Jesus that you see in every portrait, every statue, every stained glass window, what would grumpy, depressed Jesus say? He would say, make not fun of Nazareth, Nathaniel. It will go better for you in the day, you know, blah, blah, blah. He says nothing of the kind. Jesus says, now there is an Israelite without guile. There's a guy I can trust. And guess what? Nathaniel joins the apostles. So there's an early sign, besides just the parables and the stories he told, that Jesus must have had a sense of humor. He was a human being. We believe as Catholics that he was fully human. So we have to get away from this idea of grumpy, dour, depressed Jesus. Because today humor seems to count almost as a strike against church leaders when it should be seen as a requirement. That's not to say that no bishop or religious superior uh, you know, doesn't have a sense of humor. One of my favorite stories, I need a prop for this, is Cardinal O'Connor, formerly of Philadelphia and then of Scranton, uh, who was Archbishop of New York in the 1980s and 1990s, and he had a prop. He was at a fundraising dinner. True story. And the MC got up, and uh, if you've ever been to these rubber chicken dinners, you know that they have to thank this long list of people. So the fundraiser, the, the MC got up and kept forgetting everybody's name. And he said, well, I'm really happy. Thank you so much. I'd like to thank Linda Jasinski for all of her wonderful work. I'd like to thank her. And also, oh, for all of his wonderful work too, I'd like to thank um, uh, uh, Father uh, Kevin for all of his terrific work. I'm so happy. And finally, I'd like to thank uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Walsh for all the great work that they've done. And now I'd like to call up His Eminence John Cardinal O'Connor, who will give us his final benediction. True story. 
So Arkana gets up there, big as life, you know, thank you very much. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray. Loving God, we thank you for all the blessings you've bestowed upon us tonight, and we make this prayer in the name of your Son and our Lord. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, the current Archbishop of New York, uh, Archbishop Dolan, Cardinal Designate Dolan, he'll be a Cardinal, maybe he's a Cardinal now, uh, tomorrow sometime, has a great sense of humor. Uh, he's very, very funny. And I don't mean funny for a bishop, I mean funny in general. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's like a different sort of level. But um, uh, I was... Uh, he has, a t he has a radio show, believe it or not, that, that he invited me to be on, and he, he, uh, we were talking about the humor of the popes, and Ar Archbishop Dolan, Cardinal Dolan, is a great big guy. He's huge. He's like a football player. And uh, he told me that um, when he was Archbishop of Milwaukee uh, back in the 80s, he visited uh, a Blessed John Paul. He wasn't Blessed John Paul at the time, but um, he visited uh, Pope John Paul, and to make Pope John Paul sort of happy, John Paul was very ill, Archbishop Dolan, big guy, gets up there and says, Your Holiness, I'm so happy to report that the Archdiocese of Milwaukee is growing. And John Paul said, So is the Archbishop. <laughs> and then Dolan said, I hope that's not an infallible teaching. So, but while many of the church fathers and um, some quarters of the church may have downplayed the role of humor in Christian history, many of the saints never did. While I was researching my book, Between Heaven and Mirth, which makes the perfect gift for your friends and family, <laughs> and is on sale afterwards, uh, I was reminded that the saints were deeply attractive people who others wanted to be around. Joy, humor, and laughter run like bright threads through the lives of the saints disproving the stereotype of the grumpy, dour, depressed, morose saint. Here is something St. Teresa of Avila said, the 16th century Carmelite reformer. You ready? This is St. Teresa. A sad nun is a bad nun. I am more afraid of one unhappy sister than a whole crowd of evil spirits. You could substitute bishop, priest, brother in that. <laughs> what would happen if we hid what little sense of humor we had, right? So there's a doctor of the church recommending humor. Stories about the humor of the saints reaches as far back as the early Roman martyrs. In the third century, St. Lawrence, who was burned to death on a gridiron over hot coals, famously called out to his executioners, turn me over and take a bite, I'm done on this side. In Latin. Or, I could, not, I could not pass over, since this is the, by the good graces of the Augustinians, St. Augustine's famous line, and my favorite prayer, Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. <laughs> it's not really my favorite prayer. Um, <laughs> saintly humor continues up until modern times. The most well-known contemporary example is probably Blessed John Twenty-Third who was Pope between 1958 and 1963. His most famous joke came when a journalist innocently asked him, Your Holiness, how many people work in the Vatican? And he said, about half. <laughs> Another time, um, 
John, uh, John the 23rd was in Rome and um, someone said to him, Holiness, I understand the Vatican is closed in the afternoon. You know how they close things in Italy and people don't work. John said, no, no. He said, the Vatican is closed in the afternoon. People don't work in the morning. <laughs> in the 1940s, when he was still the papal ambassador or nuncio to France, uh, he was at an elegant dinner party and he was seated across from a woman wearing a very low-cut dress. Maybe not that low-cut, it wasn't like Lady Gaga was there. <laughs> he wasn't with Lady Gaga. Um, and the, the secretary said to him, Eminence, quel scandale! And John, who used to refer to himself as an Italian peasant, you know, with a very earthy sense of humor, said, what's the scandal? And the secretary said, that, uh, the secretary said, that woman with her low-cut dress what a scandal, everyone is looking at her. And John said, no one's looking at her. Everyone's looking at me to see if I am looking at her. <laughs> Another time, uh, he was in Rome at a hospital called, he dropped into a hospital called the Hospital of the Holy Spirit, run by a sister's order called the Sisters of the Holy Spirit very cleverly named hospital. I mean, the, the Jesuits are bad enough. Everything's either Loyola or Ignatius or Xavier. Anyway, he uh, surprised the Mother Superior who came up and said, Your Holiness, welcome, welcome. I am the Superior of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he said, really? Well, then you outrank me. I'm, o <laughs> I'm only the Vicar of Christ. So the saints knew that there were some serious reasons for joy, humor, and laughter in the spiritual life. So let's look at a few serious reasons. Number one, humor evangelizes. Joy, humor, and laughter show your faith in God. An essentially positive outlook shows that you believe in what? The resurrection, right? Christ is risen. You believe in the power of love over hatred, right? Of life over death of hope over despair. Happiness attracts people, right? It's a tool for evangelization. When I was a Jesuit novice, the Superior General of the Society of Jesus, the formal name of the Jesuits, uh, a guy named Peter Hans Kolvenbach, uh, was going to visit our novitiate, which was in Boston. And uh, we were told, all the novices, that we could ask Father General one question. Let me ask Father General one question. So I thought a whole week about my one question so I could impress him, which was probably not the best motivation. You know, so he would say, oh, you are so smart. What are you doing as a novice? You should be, ordain this man immediately. <laughs> so the big day came and Father General came and looked, uh, well, what is your question? And I said, Father General, what's the best way to increase vocations? You know what he said? I thought he'd say, oh, we have to build more high schools, or we have to publish more books, or we have to be on TV more. You know what he said? Live your own vocation joyfully. Right? Live your own vocation joyfully. Why would anyone want to join a group of miserable people? <laughs> we forget that. Two, humor is a tool for humility. We, we all get puffed up. And self-deprecating jokes help to bring us back down to size. All of us get puffed up. Everyone in this church gets puffed up. Where were you last night? Oh, I went to a spirituality talk. Really? Oh, I didn't know you were so spiritual. 
Yes, I am. <laughs> I, do you go to those things a lot? I do, actually. <laughs> Have you ever been on a retreat? Yes. <laughs> What's it like? I, it's hard to explain to someone who hasn't done it. You know? You get a big head. You know, as a priest, you all get big heads, including where are all the campus ministers here, you know? I mean like, oh, you're in campus ministry, you must be so holy. Well, <laughs> I guess. Um, a priest gets a big head too, you know? And imagine that, right? Um, sometimes at mass, uh, on the way out of mass at St. Ignatius in, in uh, New York, another cleverly named church, um, people kiss my hand, right? Big head, right? Someone said to me once, quote, quote, seeing you celebrate Mass, Father Jim, is like seeing Jesus Christ celebrate Mass. It's like, wow. I didn't know the last time she saw Jesus Christ celebrating Mass was. You know, body of me, body of me. So, which it is. So uh, that is a theologically correct statement. So, um, so what's the point? The point is that self-deprecatory jokes bring us down to size. So that Jesuit joke I told at the beginning is fun to tell, right? I love the Society of Jesus. I just took my final vows in 2009 after a brief 21 years of training. Um, I was on the AP course. But Jesuit jokes remind me and remind my brother Jesuits not to take myself and ourselves so seriously, right? So it's like the joke about the, um, uh, let's see, the Jesuit, the Augustinian, and the Dominican who are on a retreat together. They're at um, Dalesford Abbey, right? And uh, they're on retreat and they get this mystical grace, finding themselves physically present at the nativity, right? And the Augustinian says to the baby Jesus, oh, the joy of seeing how Christ has made his home among us, among the poor, and has chosen to enlighten us. And the Dominican says to the Blessed Mother, Oh, the joy of seeing how the Word has become flesh, how the Revealer and the Reveal have become among us as the Logos, pre-existing in time but now existing in history. That's the way Dominicans talk. <laughs> and the Jesuit says to St. Joseph, You ever thought about a Jesuit high school for this kid? <laughs> Or the one about the uh, guy that uh, goes to a Franciscan parish, knocks on the door, Franciscan opens in his, you know, brown robe. The guy says, uh, do you do novenas here? She says, yeah, it's a Franciscan parish. We've got one starting next week. He says, will you say novena if I give you a donation for an intention? Franciscan says, yeah, what's your intention? He says, uh, I want a Lexus. <laughs> and Franciscan says, well, what's a Lexus? And he says, well, if you don't know, forget it. So he goes to the Augustinian parish. He goes to St. Thomas of Villanova. Knocks on the door. A guy opens up, long black robe. Uh, is this an Augustinian parish? Yes, it is. He said, do you do novenas here? Of course we do. What do you think? We're Augustinians. He says, uh, will you say uh, novena for my intention? The guy says, yeah, what's your intention? He says, I want a Lexus. The Augustinian says, well, what is that exactly? And he says, well, if you don't know, forget it. Forget it. The Jesuits. Knocks on the door, goes down to Old St. Joe's. Jesuit opens up the door. Says, are you a Jesuit? Yes, I am. Let me ask you a question. 
Do you know what a Lexus is? Sure I do. Most of our parishioners drive them. Top of the line car. The guy says, I'd like one. And he says, I don't blame you. And the guy says, will you say novena that I get one? And the Jesuit says, yeah, what's a novena? <laughs> True story. <laughs> so what's the point? Humor says to all of us, and to Jesuits, and to Catholics, to Christians, to all of us, don't take yourself so seriously. Get over yourself, right? You're just like everybody else. That goes for people at the very top. Once, when John XXIII was in Rome, he got a letter from a little boy named Bruno. Dear Pope, I am undecided. I don't know if I want to be a policeman or a pope. <laughs> a common vocational discernment question. <laughs> what do you think? They have this letter. My dear Bruno, if you want my opinion, learn to be a policeman, for that cannot be improvised. As regards being pope, anybody can be the pope. The proof is, I have become one. If you're ever in Rome, please stop by, and I'll be glad to talk all this over with you. That's an important way the saints used humor, as a tool in their quest for humility. Number three, humor shocks listeners into recognizing reality. In other words, humor gets right to the point, right? St. Francis of Assisi once said, preach the gospel always, use words when necessary, right? It's kind of clever, funny, it sticks with you. I think that's one reason that Jesus' parables and his stories had a little humor. You remember them, right? Some of his stories were clever and funny, and they stuck with people. Four, humor speaks truth to power. A witty remark is a time-honored way to challenge the pompous, the puffed up, and the powerful. Jesus deployed humor in that way, exposing and diffusing the arrogance of some of the religious authorities of his time. Right? It's a very gentle way of speaking truth to power. So remember the story of Caesar's coin? Say, is it lawful to pay taxes? Jesus says, give me a coin. Hold it up. Whose head is on that coin? Caesar's. Well, says Jesus, then pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, but to God what is God's. You can imagine the disciples saying, hey, that's pretty good, you know? <laughs> it's funny, but it's a gentle way of communicating truth to power. A friend of mine told me that his mother was once in the hospital, nowhere near here, by the way, the same time that the local bishop was. Not this bishop, no bishop you know. <laughs> After the operation, uh, the bishop went from room to room. He had just recovered from some surgery, visiting all the patients. And he said, he went to my friend's mother and said, for all you uh, campus ministers here, what they tell you never to say in pastoral counseling, he bent over to my friend's mother and said, well, dear, I know just how you feel. And she said, really, when was your hysterectomy? <laughs> they became friends. They became friends, and years later, years later, when he celebrated her funeral mass, he told that story in himself, right? He was able to laugh at himself. Number five, humor shows Christian courage. As I mentioned, St. Lawrence showed his courage to his torturers during his execution. It was a bold profession of faith. In that same vein, in the 16th century, St. Thomas More, as he climbed the steps to his beheading, said to his executioner, I pray you help me on the way up. 
As for coming down, I will take care of myself. <laughs> now, what does that say? That says, I do not fear death. I believe in God. I believe in the afterlife. I believe that my Redeemer lives. It's a kind of prophetic humor that the saints use that I think we overlook. Six, humor deepens our relationship with God. One of the best ways of thinking about prayer, if you read any spiritual books, you'll come across this frequently, is the idea of prayer as a personal relationship. To look at a relationship to God as you would look at a friendship, by analogy. Now, that's not the, it's obviously not the same because our friends have not created the universe out of nothing, you know, even though some of them act as if they had. Um, <laughs> but if you compare a friendship to prayer, it can help you understand your prayer more. So, for example, often at the beginning of spiritual life or involvement in church, everything's great. Oh, I went on this great retreat. It was a fantastic retreat, and oh my gosh, and, and then I read this great book, and I, oh my gosh, this is, and Mass is so beautiful, and what is that? That's infatuation. It's like a relationship. It has to settle down. Relationships go through tough times, like our relationship with God. Sometimes we feel like we're not hearing from our friends as much. Did your friend have to call you every day and say, oh, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Well, that's what we sometimes feel about God. Sometimes our relationships uh, go through times where there's silence, right? Honesty is important in relationships. What happens if you're in a relationship, a married relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, uh, friends, where you say just what you think you should say? The relationship gets kind of cold, doesn't it? It's like your relationship with God. If you're only saying what you think you should say to God, your relationship can get cold. So you know where I'm going with this. Any good relationship could use some humor. So what if I brought, um, what if I brought one of my cousins up and I said, I want to introduce you to my, one of my cousins. We have known each other for our whole lives. We spend holidays together. We know each other's families. We, we spend all this time together. And you say, isn't that great? You two must laugh a lot. And I say, no. That's, why would you say that? It's very inappropriate. <laughs> Never laugh. But that's the way we treat our relationship with God sometimes. Serious. All the time. So the question is, can our relationship with God use some humor? Can you smile when you're praying? Can you imagine God delighting in you, as the Bible said? Here's a question. Raise your hands if you've heard the term, God loves you. Raise your hands. Oh, some people aren't raising their hand. By the way, God loves you. Um, <laughs> how about this? God likes you. Doesn't that feel different? God likes you. God enjoys your company, right? God delights in your company. That feels different, doesn't it? Can you imagine God delighting in you and enjoying life with you, right? Can you even imagine that the wonderful or funny or unexpected things that happen in your life might just be signs of God's, here's a word we don't hear much about God, playfulness. For myself, I like to think that those funny or wonderful or unexpected moments might just be signs of God's playfulness. So to that end, I'll tell you a story. So I have two nephews who are here. Can you stand up? My two nephews, there they are. Yay! <laughs> huh. 
Charles and Matthew. So they've heard this. They know that Charles and Matthew don't mind me telling the story. So Charles is 13 now, and um, Matthew is six, right? Am I right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> What's that? Six and a half, right. <laughs> so we were all um, at 4th of July in Plymouth meeting um, a couple of years ago. And um, I heard that they were doing my book, My Life with the Saints, which makes the perfect gift for your friends and family. <laughs> As like a parish book club. And I called the pastor and I said, uh, you know, how would you like me to come out and give a little uh, talk about it? So I left this message on the phone. It was 4th of July weekend. Okay. I came back and there was a message on my mom's phone saying, thank you so much, Father Jim, for offering to say Mass. Oh, I didn't really offer to say mass, but I called him back and um, I said, well, I'm not really, I only have like shorts and flip-flops. That's okay. We have a long alb for you, you know? So anyway, what you need to know about this story, which by the way does have a point, um, is that one thing that Matthew uh, likes to do and liked to do for many years was to um, say grace at meals, okay? So Matthew would say in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that was his role, and it still is at mealtime, right? And you know, no one wanted to step on Matthew's toes. So this was about two years ago. Now, uh, I decided, well, all right, I'll say mass for the people of God. And I thought to myself, how wonderful for the parish, right? You know, you get a big head, lucky them. Oh, I'm gonna go back to Epiphany. Oh, they're gonna be so moved. Oh, you know, local boy makes good and he's ordained from their very midst, coming back to celebrate with them. It's gonna be so moving. So, you know, I, I was at home and I wrote a little homily and I thought, oh, this is so beautiful. <laughs> They're gonna so, oh, lucky them. So, you know, you get a big head. So anyway, so the day of the mass, uh, I, I come out and there's the people of God. I'm surprised my head could fit through the sacristy. <laughs> I come out and there's my family. You know, they're going to be so happy to hear my beautiful homily and all the people of God. And so I come up and I, I reverence the altar and I say, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy. And Matthew yells out, shut up, Uncle Jim, that's my part. <laughs> Now, when I was praying about that, <laughs> I smiled and I said to myself, who is not to say that that is not God saying in a playful way, get over yourself, <laughs> right? Who is not to say that those funny, unexpected, humorous moments are not God's way of saying, get over yourself, have a little fun. The Jesuit priest, Anthony DeMello, said it in one of his briefest recommendations for meditation, look at God looking at you and smiling. Seven, humor welcomes. Hospitality is an important virtue in the, the, the Old and the New Testaments, right? For Jesus, his life is all about hospitality. Jesus is always welcoming people. It's always bringing people in from the margins, right? Healing people, for, uh, forgiving people, welcoming people who are outcasts. He is God's hospitality. In the Old Testament, remember the story of Abraham and Sarah. Remember, Abraham is like a thousand 
and Sarah's 999 because she married early. <laughs> and uh, an angel comes and says to Abraham, your wife will, give a child, will have a child. And Abraham, quote, falls on his face laughing, right? <laughs> See, now you laugh at that. You know, what do you do when you hear that story at church? Thanks be to God. <laughs> Sarah overhears it, and Sarah laughs. And God says, look this up in Genesis, why did you laugh? And Sarah said, I did not laugh. And God says, quote, yes, you did, right? <laughs> they have a baby. They name him Isaac. Isaac in Hebrew is Yitzhak, which means he laughs. And Sarah says in that beautiful line, and all will laugh with me now because God has brought laughter, Yitzhak, into my life. So look at that. Judaism and Christianity begin with laughter. There's a story that encapsulates holiness, humor, and hospitality. Humor is a way of showing hospitality, in fact. One of the easiest ways of getting people to feel at home is to get them to laugh, right? If you're at a dinner party and you feel tense or a meeting or something, or you've met new people, they laugh, you say, ah, I can see people smiling. You know that experience, right? Oh, I feel at home. Uh, a few years ago, as you heard, I worked in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, with refugees as part of the Jesuit refugee service. And um, I signed up for an eight-day retreat at the Jesuit retreat house. And at the end of the retreat, uh, we were all supposed to get up and share. There was a big dinner. We were supposed to get up and share the graces of our retreat. So I looked around and uh, I noticed that all the men had left. All the priests, brothers, and laymen had left. Now I'll leave it up to someone else to say what that says about male spirituality, but it was me and 50 African nuns, right? Really, all in habits. So I was seated at this table and this woman, uh, this sister said to me, oh, Brother Jim, stand up. You must stand up first. So I stood up and there's 50 nuns staring at me, waiting for me. And I thought, well, you know, I'll say something wrong or maybe I'll say something too personal or not personal enough or I'll use the wrong words or I'll go on too long or not long enough, you know. And I just blurted out, I can't believe I'm the only man here. And from way across the room, this African nun jumped up and yelled out, and blessed are you among women. <laughs> Greatest use of scripture ever. <laughs> what happened? Laughter welcomed me, and I felt right at home, and I could share the graces of my retreat. Laughter is welcoming. Number eight, humor is healing. Physicians, psychologists, and psychiatrists know that humor helps the healing process of the physical body, right? Laughter releases endorphins. It reduces the stress hormone known as cortisol. It increases circulation, right? And if we take seriously the Pauline image of the body of Christ, one of the most beautiful images of the church in the New Testament, the body of Christ, we might consider whether the same holds true for the Christian community. That is, in the midst of some difficult times in our church, need I go into detail in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia? The people of God could use from time to time a little break and a little laughter. That's not to say that one laughs about the pain or scandal or what Pope Benedict called sin inside the church, his words, sin inside the church, but humor can give us a little bit of a break and help us to heal 
It may also help to lighten some painful situations. A few years ago, the Jesuit Provincial or Regional Superior uh, of New York was at the province infirmary where all the elderly and sick uh, and retired Jesuits live. And he was giving a kind of state of the province talk, which the provincial normally does, like this is what we're doing, we're opening this school and we're moving here and blah, blah, blah. And he said, one of the problems in the province is that we have so many elderly Jesuits that we have nowhere to put them. He said, there isn't even enough room in the infirmary here. And one of the old Jesuits yells out, Father Provincial, we're dying as fast as we can. <laughs> That's true Jesuit humor. Number nine, humor opens our minds, right? Neuroscientists say, you know the fight or flight response, right? If I say something bad, or if you hear some bad news, you'll tense up. If I say, uh, oh, by the way, guess what? Um, your cars have been towed. Ooh, you tense up, your car's just towed. It's hard to hear anything after that. If I say, but they towed it just across the street, you know, because it, there were some problems with the um, construction. It's, you get very tense, you say, well, don't tell me that. Don't, you know, just, it's the fight or flight response. Laughter does the opposite. Laughter actually relaxes you. I was talking to some psychologists and they say, when you're laughing, you're more receptive. Isn't that interesting? Because you're relaxed, so laughter can get your message across. Likewise, laughter can signal a sudden spiritual insight. Often in spiritual direction, when people realize how foolish or sinful or selfish they've been acting, or how they've done something over and over and over, they laugh at themselves, right? I'll tell you a story about that. And it has, it's no one you know, no one near here, and it happened nowhere near here. And it was many years ago. I'm gonna change some of the details. Um, so it's a, it's, a, it's a story about a sister. Um, we'll call her sister, and um, she was on retreat, and I was directing an eight-day Jesuit retreat, and uh, she came to the first day of the retreat, and she said, uh, well, Father, she said, I just want to tell you one thing. I don't like praying the way that you Jesuits pray, you know, which is to use our imagination. Jesuits, one of the hallmarks of Ignatian, as it's called, spirituality, which you can read about in my book, The Jesuit Guide to Almost Everything, which makes it perfect for your friends and family. <laughs> is imaginative prayer, imagining yourself in the scripture scene. So there it is right there, very good choice. Um, and she said, I don't like to pray, that. I can't pray that way. So please don't ask me to do that. And I said, okay. I said, well, how do you like to pray on retreat? Well, she said, I like to begin my morning with my morning offering. And then I do a rosary. Then I look at the scripture readings for the day. And then I do a prayer walk. And then I do a spiritual reading. And then I look at the Mass again and I make sort of a summary of points of what things I want to pay attention to in the Mass. And then I do another prayer walk and then I do more spiritual reading. At Lent I do my particular examination of conscience. I say grace and I'm very contemplative at prayer at, at lunch when I'm eating. Afterwards I do a rosary, I do two hours of spiritual reading, I prepare myself for Mass by doing another prayer walk. At Mass I'm listening very carefully, I make notes on the priest's homily afterwards, I do more spiritual reading and I do my examination of conscience and I go to bed. So I thought, now, that, you know, there's no wrong way to pray. <laughs> really, really, I'm, I'm being serious. There's no wrong way to pray, whatever gets you to God. And it was not for me to say, I don't like that, that's too much, that's too rigid. I thought, well, if that's the way she prays, that's the way she prays, you know? So she went off and she came back the next day and I said, how was your prayer? Excellent. I said, well, what kind of stuff came up? Well, I figured that, I realized that I needed, I should be working harder. 
I should be spending more time in my community, I should be spending more time on the job, and I should be spending more time in prayer. She was doing what my first spiritual director used to call shooting all over yourself. <laughs> S-H-O-U-L-D-I-N-G. Yeah, my nephew didn't like that word. Um, so, shooting all over yourself. So she kept coming back, same thing. I should be doing this, I should be doing that. And I started to think of the woman bent over. Remember that story in the Gospels of the poor woman who's bent over? That prayer, it seemed to me, felt like a burden, not something liberating. So I said to my supervisor, I said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. And she said, well, you have to wait for an opening or wait for the spirit. You can't force someone to pray in a certain way. So anyway, a day or two passed, and I finally said to her, Sister, I said, can we talk a little bit about this imaginative prayer? And she said, well, I can't pray that way. She said it kind of sadly. I said, why not? And she said, well, my spirit, I, I'm very literal. I don't have an imagination. And I said, really, no imagination. And she said, no. And she said, and my spiritual director said, don't bother praying that way. You can't do it. Yeah, who was a Jesuit, by the way, so we don't know everything. Um, so I said, you're literal. Yes, I've never had imagination. No imagination, none. I have no imagination. I wish I could pray that way. Really, you have no imagination, none. So this came from the Holy Spirit because it didn't come from me. I said, you have no imagination? She said, none. I said, sister, have you ever had a sexual fantasy in your entire life? She got this big smile on her face, and she burst out laughing, and I said, I guess you do have an imagination, don't you? <laughs> and she laughed and laughed, and I laughed too. It was so funny. She laughed and laughed and laughed. I said, sister, I said, everyone has an imagination. Now, tomorrow, just do something simple. Imagine yourself walking side by side with Jesus. And she came back the next day and said, Jesus and I made up for 10 years of lost time. Yeah. Now, what's the point of that story? Not that she was praying wrong, or that I'm this super-duper spiritual director, but that when she was freed by God and by the Holy Spirit, what happened? She laughed. She laughed. Joy is the surest sign of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Finally, a last reason. Humor is fun. Let me repeat that. Humor is fun. God forbid the Catholics should have fun, right? Oh, what a terrible thing that would be, right? The saints understood this. St. Catherine Drexel, our own saint, who's buried up in Ben Salem, used to say, don't ever say that some great sorrow drove me into the convent. I am and have always been the happiest of women. Okay? The religious life can be fun. The saints understood that. And I would expect that the man whose first miracle was to turn water into wine at a wedding party understood the need for some high spirits in life, right? <laughs> I know. I know it's a bad joke. <laughs> to that end, uh, before the question and answer before you all buy my books, um, <laughs> two jokes. Jesuit priest and an Augustinian are driving to Villanova. And they get into this big argument about, uh, what are they arguing about? The new mass translations. Oh, yeah, I know. Oh, they're good, they're bad, they're this, they're that. I like them, I don't like them, blah, 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 blah. Big argument. They get so distracted that, um, boom, they drive off Lancaster Pike and hit a telephone bowl and they go straight to heaven, 
right? So there they are in front of the big gates of heaven, covered with big puffy white clouds, you know, which is in fact what it looks like. Um, <laughs> no, it is. I mean, I, I do have an MDiv and, and I have an MDiv and a THM. That is what heaven looks like, big puffy white clouds. So anyway, suddenly there's this beautiful celestial organ music and the big gates of heaven open up and out rolls this big red carpet all the way out to the foot of the Jesuit. And out come all these Jesuit saints, St. Francis Xavier, St. Aloysius Gonzaga, St. Claude de la Colombière, St. Isaac Jogues, I can go on all day, St. John de Brabant. They all come out, Miguel Pro, all of them, uh, St. Stanislas Kostka. Jesuit can't believe it, all these Jesuit saints. And then there's this beautiful music and out comes St. Ignatius Loyola himself, the founder of the Jesuits, in his black cassock and his beretta and his little beard, and he comes out with the red carpet and he goes up to the Jesuit and he bends down and he says to him, in English, because he's learned English in heaven, he says, welcome to heaven. He says, you are so welcome. He says, thank you for being such a good Jesuit. Jesuit can't believe it, St. Ignatius. Then there's this beautiful harp music and now rolls this powder blue carpet and out comes the Blessed Mother, who's dressed in blue, which is what she wears on special occasions. Um, oh, that's true, you've seen the pictures. She comes out, all the Jesuits fall to their knees and say the Hail Mary, they pull out their rosaries. Mary doesn't say that because that's an awkward prayer for her to say. Um, the Blessed Mother comes up, the, the Jesuit can't believe it, it's Mary. Mary comes up to the Jesuit, says, thank you for being a good Catholic, welcome to heaven. You can't believe it. Suddenly, big trumpet blast, out rolls a white carpet, and out comes Jesus Christ himself. Jesus comes out, walks up to the Jesuit, who, who is dumbstruck. You know, the Augustinians watching this whole thing, you know. <laughs> Jesus passes him, goes up to the Jesuit, and says, thank you for being a good Christian. Welcome to heaven. So the Jesuit, they, the, the Jesuit saints and St. Ignatius and the Blessed Mother and Jesus lift the Jesuit up, and they hug him, and they all start singing, and they're singing, uh, they sing St. Louis Jesuit songs, which is what they sing in heaven. Um, <laughs> except for being not afraid, they don't have to sing that. Um, so they sing City of God, of course. So, so they're singing these songs, and the Augustinians watching this, and these, they all go back into heaven, uh, the Jesuit saints, and Blessed Mother, and, and the Jesuit, and the carpets roll up, the white one, and the blue one, and the, and the red one, and the big gates of heaven close, and the Augustinian is left there by himself. And he is wondering, who is going to come out and see me? You know, this is so exciting. And uh, maybe, uh, maybe St. Thomas of Villanova, you know. Maybe Augustine himself will come out. What am I going to say to the Blessed Mother? What will I say to Jesus? And, you know, he's waiting there and he looks and uh, it's been about an hour. You know, because there's technically no time yet. He's, there's still time because he's not in heaven, you know. See, I did go to theology. And... Um, <laughs> And he's waiting two hours, starting to get a little ticked off. Three hours, he's really starting to get, you know, kind of annoyed. Four hours, can you imagine that? Four hours later, he's getting really ticked off and he's angry. Finally, after five hours, a little side door opens up and a little saint who he didn't even recognize says, hey, come here. And the Augustinian walks up and he says, the little saint says, uh, welcome to heaven. And the Augustinian says, are you kidding? He goes, that's the crummy welcome I get? And the little saint says, what do you mean? He goes, oh, come on. He says, the Jesuits get the, the freaking carpets and the saints and his founder and the blessed mother and Jesus and all I get is this crummy welcome. 
And the little saint says, oh, yeah, yeah. He says, well, you have to remember something. He says, we get Augustinians up here every day. We haven't had a Jesuit in about 150 years. <laughs> More. I like to make these hard for myself. Feel free to in, uh, insert your favorite uh, religion or uh, <laughs> religious order. A Jesuit, a Franciscan, a Dominican, a Benedictine, and an Augustinian, they're all driving to Villanova, right? And they get into this big argument about whose life is the toughest, which we actually do discuss sometimes. And um, they, they get so distracted, they drive off Lancaster Pike, boom, they hit a telephone pole straight up to heaven. My sister uh, said to me once that uh, the moral of most of your jokes is never get into a car with a priest or a religious. <laughs> it's actually true. Um, so there they are. They're, you know, they're in front of the gates of heaven, which of course they're in the big puffy white clouds, and St. Peter comes out. And he has this big sheaf of papers and he says, whoa, 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 whoa. He says, we don't normally get five of you guys at once. He says, now I got this long Q&A hundreds of questions, and I can't take you in except if you all come in, so we can either go through all these questions one by one, or if you want, I can bring you into God's throne room, and he will ask you one single question, which will determine whether or not you get into heaven or purgatory, because obviously hell's not an option. Um, no, that's true, that's why I entered religious life. So... <laughs> So they start to talk amongst themselves, and they say, uh, well, what should we do? And the, and the Jesuit says, no, 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 no. We do not want to have God the Father ask us one question. It's going to be like one of those questions Jesus asked that had no answer, you know? And the Augustinian says, no, 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 you know, I mean, we've learned these things, and we've studied these things. And the Benedictine says, yeah, you know, trust in God's mercy, for Pete's sakes. And the, uh, the Benedictine says, yeah, you know, come on. And the Franciscan finally says, look, you know, we believe in a loving God. Let, let's, yes, yes, say let's, let's say yes to that. So they say, okay. And St. Peter says, you sure? And they say, yes. So he says, all right. So he puts the uh, sheaf of paper back in his pocket. And he takes out the keys to the kingdom, opens up the door, and it's this huge room, as far as the eye can see. And it's all the elect. It's all the people that have made it into heaven. So they're walking through and they see all these people like, oh, there's my old boss, well, whatever. And you know, the driver, <laughs> yeah, that guy in community, whatever. So they're, you're going through, oh, hi, you know, they're seeing their friends and they're, oh, hey, how you doing? And then Peter says, come on. And he takes out another key and he opens up a door and it's this beautiful room and it's all of the servants of God, the venerables and the blesseds. It's all the people on their way to sainthood. Their halos are starting to shine and now the guys are getting a little nervous and they see, Oh, you know, there's like Mother Teresa, and oh my gosh, there's Blessed John Paul, and oh, they're getting a little nervous, and Peter says, come on, and they're starting to get second thoughts about what they're doing. Opens up another door, it's all the saints. Ooh, you know, and, and St. Benedict, and oh my gosh, St. Ignatius, and wow, oh wow, St. Therese of Lisieux, and Thomas of Villanova, and wow. And uh, Peter says, come on, so he opens up another door, and it's all of the apostles. All 12 of them, six by six. And they walk in between them, all these five guys, and they, they nod, they, the apostles nod in their apostolic way to them. <laughs> Peter's like, come on, he takes out a key, another key. And it's this beautiful blue room, and in the middle of the room is the Blessed Mother, who's wearing blue, which is what she likes to wear on special occasions. <laughs> and she says, welcome, this beautiful voice. 
and she reaches into the folds of her gown, because she's a pocket in that, you can't tell from some of the pictures, and she takes out a blue key, she opens up the door, and it's Jesus. Big white room. And you can't believe it. They were just on Lancaster Pike, and now they're in front of Jesus. Well, the, the contrast is quite striking. Um, so, there they are, and Jesus says, are you ready to meet God, the Father? And then they, they can't say anything. And so Jesus takes out a key, opens up the door, and the door opens up, and Jesus says, follow me, which he likes to say. That's like his catchphrase. <laughs> so they go in, and there is this huge, beautiful room, the most beautiful room they've ever seen with marble floors and marble walls, and it's open to the ceiling. The ceilings open up in these beautiful blue clouds, and in the middle of the room is a 20-foot, solid gold, diamond-encrusted throne on which sits God the Father, who is 10 feet tall and has a long white beard, which is what God looks like. And God looks at them at the far end of the room and he says, Approach the divine throne. So that's how he talks. And they can't move, they're paralyzed. And he says, Approach the divine throne. And they, they move up and he looks down at the Franciscan and he says from his great golden throne, Son of St. Francis of Assisi, what do you believe? And the Franciscan is just paralyzed, and he says, I, 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 uh, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to work with the poor and the marginalized, which is why I spent my entire life pouring myself out for the people of God, especially the poor. But I also know that I need your forgiveness to enter into heaven. Good answer, son of St. Francis. Welcome to heaven. So he goes in, he looks down at the Augustinian, and he says, son of St. Augustine, what do you believe? And he says, I, 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 I believe in education, which is why I spent my entire life teaching at Villanova University, pouring myself out for the students there, and I also know that I need your forgiveness to enter into heaven. Very good answer, son of St. Augustine. Welcome to heaven. And he looks down at the Benedictine and he says, son of St. Benedict, what do you believe? And the Benedictine says, I, I, I believe in the liturgy, which is why I spent my entire life pouring myself out in liturgical renewal and liturgical studies and teaching people about how to encounter you in the liturgy. Good answer, son of St. Benedict. You are welcome to heaven. And he looks down at the Dominican from his 20-foot golden throne, and the Dominican's getting a little nervous because all the good answers are being taken up. <laughs> and he says to the Dominican, son of St. Dominic, what do you believe? And the Dominican, he just kind of chokes. And he says, I, I, uh, I, I, I believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all the seen and unseen. I believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God. And he goes, very good answer. He says, but you know, that's changed recently. <laughs> but nonetheless, that is a very good answer. And then he looks down from his 20-foot solid gold, diamond-encrusted throne at the Jesuit, and he says, Son of St. Ignatius of Loyola, what do you believe? And the Jesuit looks up at the throne and says, I believe you're in my seat. <laughs> Thank you. So, uh, 
We have time for uh, a few questions. Um, I think the easiest thing would be to just shout them out and I'll, I'll, um, I'll, re- I'll, uh, I'll say them back. I'll repeat them. It's a very difficult word for me to remember. Repeat them. I will repeat them. Um, and uh, any questions you want uh, on humor, on the Jesuits, uh, if you ask me a question on contraception and HHS, I will probably leave. <laughs> if I never hear one more thing about that. Any questions on anything uh, except that? Um, questions, comments, kudos, catcalls. I'll tell another joke if you want. Surely there must be questions here in Villanova. Uh, yes, in the brown. Yes, Umberto Echoes, the name of the rose. Um, a book also made into a movie in 1980 with Sean Connery and Christian Slater and F. Murray Abraham, which I talk about in my book, Between Heaven and Mirth, which you can pick up on the way out if you're reading early. Uh, you know, one of the centerpieces of the plot is, um, is a book, a supposedly lost book of Aristotle's poetics that talks about comedy and that can make people laugh. And this is not giving too much away. Uh, it's... it's, it's um, well, there, there's one monk that says that, you know, no one, people should not laugh. Humor is against sort of the human uh, reason. It makes us irrational. And what he does is he, the monk goes so far as to poison the pages so that when people who are reading it lick their fingers and turn the page, they'll die. So I talk a little bit about that. And, and it's the kind of, it's the kind of, um, it's, that, it's that objection to humor taken to its most ridiculous extreme. And he says, Jesus never laughed. There was a text by a guy named Ludolf of Saxony in the 14th century that was a supposedly eyewitness account of Jesus. I mean, it was later revealed as a a forgery or a fake. And in this book that St. Ignatius read too, the Vita Christi, the life of Christ, that that really influenced a lot of people in the the Middle Ages and the Renaissance, it said, he often weeps, he never laughs about Jesus. So there is this there is this uh, idea, and why is it? I think one of the reasons is that the, the gospel writers for the early Christians had to explain the passion and death of Jesus. It was seen as a scandal. We're so used to it. You know, we see Jesus on the cross. That was a shameful way of dying. Shameful. Uh, someone said to me once, it would be, imagine as if, if Jesus were in the electric chair on that, to get a sense of the shame of that, you know? So the Gospel writers had to spend a lot of time on that. Why did this happen? What does it mean? With the result that a lot of the rest of Jesus' life, that's, a, that's one week in his life. A lot of the rest of his life is, is kind of overlooked. But much of his ministry was about joyful things, right? Being with his disciples, table fellowship, healing people, visiting his friends, hanging out with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, Peter and Andrew, right? in Capernaum, all over the place. So we, 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 we tend to focus so much on that thanks to the Gospels, I think, uh, which were written for a particular purpose, and one of the purposes was to explain. I mean, half of the book of John is the passion, almost, you know. So I'm just trying to restore a little balance. That does not mean you have to be this kind of grinning idiot all day. Jesus' life had suffering. Our lives had suffering. But I'm just trying to restore a little balance. He's not just the man of sorrows. How many pictures of Jesus or the saints smiling have you seen? I gave a talk at um, a parish near my sister in um, 
northern New Jersey in uh, Berkeley Heights at the um, Church of the Little Flower where I baptized uh, one of my nephews. And they had a 10-foot concrete statue of Therese of Lisieux <laughs> with a frown on her face. And I said, who's that? And he said, Therese, she looks pretty angry, doesn't she? You know, so we're so used to seeing, and if we think of Jesus as always serious, then the saints is always serious, what does that mean about the real Christian? The real Catholic should be serious. But we have to re recover this idea of a joyful Jesus. And the joyful saints, which you don't have to look too hard to find, open up their, their stories. St. Philip Neri, the 16th century Italian saint, used to go around Rome with half of his beard shaved off to get people to laugh at him, right? One time he wore a cushion on his head, just for the hell of it, you know? <laughs> people laugh, you know? There's nothing wrong with getting people to laugh. Um, another question. Yes. I got some Jesuit vocation cards for you afterwards. <laughs> That's a good question. So the question is, how am I perceived in the kind of religious world, or how is this ideology perceived, or this, this, this idea? Both. Yeah, okay, so how am I, how is what I'm doing perceived? How is this idea perceived, and where is this going? I mean, I, well, first of all, I'm not always giving talks like this. I'm not always, like, laughing and stuff. So a lot of stuff I do is kind of serious. Um, uh, but I would say that the people, um, both in, I'd say the hierarchy, my Jesuit superiors, other priests, are very happy for this. I mean, one of the ironies is everyone thinks it's the other person who doesn't have a sense of humor. You know, oh yeah, I know priests like that. Everyone, every priest says that, you know. So I think, they, I think people like to think of themselves as having a sense of humor, so it's not, you know, that threatening. Um, and I think, you know, when, I really believe this. I haven't talked about this, but I think, you know, in this book, Between Heaven and Earth, I make a serious case for Jesus and humor. I mean, I really try to go through, I mean, as far as I can, the scriptures and pull them apart and talk to scholars. Not just me, but scripture scholars, theologians, like some of the top scripture scholars in the country who say, who say the same thing. This is why we were missing the point. These stories were funny, you know? Father Dan Harrington, one of the great scripture scholars who teaches at Boston College said, I suspect that some of the parables were seen as, quote, hilarious. But we missed the point. So, so part of it is, you know, kind of presenting it in an in a, in a authentic way. Um, how do they see this ideology? I think most people um, would say that it has a part, a place. I do, I do run into people who say, which is kind of funny, um, well, this is kind of a nice book. You know, like, what's your next real serious book on? Do you know what I mean? It's like this. So there's a sense that this is not a serious topic which is interesting, because I think it is. Whereas suffering, oh my gosh, how many books on Christian suffering are there? I mean, it's crazy. 
not, not crazy to think about it, but come on, like, how about a little balance? So that's just the balance. Where is this ideology going? I don't know. I mean, I think there's a growing understanding of how it can be a tool for evangelization. Arch Cardinal Dolan does it all the time, and I think that's really helped people to sort of stand up and take notice. Someone like, you know, to take another example from another world, Stephen Colbert, who is an evangelist in a sense, in his way of sort of promoting that. I think, um, I think people are kind of taking notice. Pope Benedict, who I quote in my book, said God wants to nudge us sometimes and say, don't take yourself so serious. That's Benedict. So I think they understand it. I, I, I think there's a, but there is this 2,000 years of, of weight of the somber, dour, grumpy, depressed Jesus, the grumpy, depressed saints who look miserable. You know, Jesus looks miserable uh, uh, after the resurrection. He looks like he just smelled bad cheese. <laughs> so do the disciples. They're never smiling. They're worshiping. And the word, you know, someone said to me something really interesting um, uh, recently. Well, what about awe? And I said, what about? And I said, well, you know, smiling and stuff. And I said, when you see a sunset, do you have awe? Oh, yeah. Are you frowning? So there's this weird equation of awe and reverence with mopiness. You see the sunset or you see the beach, you're so happy, you know, and it's beautiful and it's awful in that way. So I don't know, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I hope it, I'm trying to do my part, you know, but, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. Um, if, Cardinal, if, our, if Cardinal Dolan gets to be Pope, things will change. <laughs> he really, he said to me, I, I just think, I, I'm really very um, uh, fond of the guy, and I, I think his jokes are, like I said, not just for a Cardinal or an Archbishop, for anybody. Um, I said to him before this radio interview, he, he has this great radio voice. He's like, you know, better than mine. He's like, uh, well, you know, we're back at Sirius Radio, and this is Archbishop Dolan and the Archbishop Dolan Show. And I said, afterwards, I said, Archbishop, I said, I think you may have missed your calling. And he said, there are a lot of people in this archdiocese that think I missed my calling. <laughs> so, uh, there's another question over here. Yes. Mm. And how that relates, and in some ways, in a meditative form, and it comes out of the spirit, and it is accepted by the Catholic Church, from what I understand, and how that goes with the type of joyfulness. You mean kind of liturgically, or? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so the question of holy laughter, there's a kind of, there's a few different uh, manifestations of that. Um, in the charismatic renewal, um, back in the 60s and 70s, there was a lot of emphasis on laughter as a way that the spirit could work, which it is. There was uh, something I talk about in the book uh, called the Rhesus Pascalis, which is the Easter laugh. And it was a tradition where the pastor would get people to laugh during the Easter Sunday Mass. When's the last time that To make the devil uncomfortable. It was a laugh at the devil. It's kind of interesting. Um, so, great questions. Uh, other questions? Yes? Um, a lot of what you're talking about is kind of reclaiming laughter. Yeah. But it also sounds like you think it's just intrinsic to humanity. So, how do you see laughter in other faiths kind of the conversation? Yeah. So, the question is, then maybe after this, just one more question. Um, so, the question is, um, is it a recovering of laughter? Yes. 
because I think it was there, and the disciples, it must have been. You know, interesting bracket, a friend of mine likes to say open bracket. Um, Jesus gave people nicknames. Jesus called Simon Peter, Kephas, Petrus, the Rock. Dan Harrington, great, greatest, one of the great New Testament scholars, said to me, that is not just the rock on which I build my church. That may be a nickname about Peter's character. Tough, rocky, angular. Rocky. He's, you're a rock. You're kind of a tough guy, you know? At one point, Jesus says, there says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were called Boanerges. And we just, well, whatever, okay. Boanerges means in Greek, sons of thunder. Okay, now, some scripture scholars say that might have referred to them. You know, tough guys. Other scripture scholars say that, remember earlier when James and John's mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, are my sons going to sit at your right hand? So Boanerges, sons of thunder, the thunder refers to <laughs> their mom. Oh, here come the sons of thunder. Close bracket. We miss that, though. I mean, they, they're putting nicknames there like that in, in the New Testament. We missed that. So it is a recovery. Uh, other, yeah, it's just, it's just rediscovering it. Rediscovering, like the book of Jonah or, or Abraham and Sarah or anyway. Um, other faiths. Yeah, it's inherent in, um, in humanity. Uh, you know, there's, we laugh at ourselves because we're human. Uh, as the story I told about my nephew makes us laugh at ourselves. Uh, things that happen in mass, I could go on for another hour about funny, one of the priest stories, there are quite many priests here, priest things that happen in mass, legendary. I thought that this was apocryphal, it is not, that a Jesuit priest that during his first mass was so nervous, this is not apocryphal, held up the host and said, this is the leg of lamb. <laughs> another another non-apocryphal story this is not this is not made up a friend of mine who who uh, is a Jesuit was recently ordained and uh, if you've been to you know, marriage you know you've all been to weddings uh, there's a little marriage rights book it's a little rights book all of the stage directions are not written They're just you know it's like But it doesn't say, you know, okay, now go to the altar and put the rings down, turn around, move down to the altar. So it can be confusing. So this friend of mine, and some of the stuff that you can say, like we welcome, you know, the blah, 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 is not in the book. So this friend of mine asked this older, true story, asked this older priest, I'll stand up here to do it, um, asked this older <coughs> priest to give him the book that he used with all the directions. Turn to the bride, turn to the groom, put the rings on the altar, sprinkle the ring, you know, all that stuff in, in pencil. So my friend's doing it, couple's down here, and, you know, get the rings, you know, do you take, you know, I bless this, blah, blah, blah. And then in pencil, in quotes, it said, because it's not in the right, you may now kiss the bride. And so you bend over.
everyone was shocked. And then they laughed, and then he said to the groom, I think you were supposed to do that. You know, so it's, it's, it's part of the human condition. And if we don't laugh, I think we're, we're missing. I, you know, I, I said to someone, oh, about Jesus, because I really, I really want to like sort of focus on that. I said to a psychologist, uh, what kind of, because I'm, I'm not a psychologist, um, what kind of person does not have a sense of humor? What, what does that mean? Like if you ever heard that. And they said, a person without a sense of humor would be incapable of entering into a relationship with somebody because they would miss social cues. They would miss things. Does that sound like Jesus? No. So it's part of, it's part of being human. Uh, maybe, yes, in the front. Are you aware of the play, the drama by Eugene O'Neill, Lazarus Laugh? I understand it couldn't be performed very well, that it reads better as a book, but I think if he, or maybe he, he has a rival in American drama as the greatest dramatist, is there anything in that's the drama of Lazarus Laughed by Eugene O'Neill? So the question is, the drama Lazarus Laughed by Eugene O'Neill, um, and uh, I, I, I bow in my admiration to this uh, Augustinian priest who taught at the, in the Gregorian in Rome for 50 years, and I'm embarrassed to say I've never heard of it, so <laughs> never heard of it. Um, but uh, so there, there's some humility for me. Um, so one more question. Maybe well, tell, tell us about it. I mean, it's worth looking into. It's worth looking into. Okay. After you buy my book, <laughs> after you buy my book, you can buy Lazarus Laugh by Eugene O'Neill. Uh, one more question. I'll have to read it though. It sounds good. Another question. Yes. Uh, do I think Fulton Sheen was successful because he used humor? Raise your hands if you know who Fulton Sheen was. All right, raise your hands if you don't know who Fulton Sheen was. Uh, interesting generation, isn't it? So Fulton Sheen was a, a very popular bishop. He was Bishop uh, Auxiliary of New York and then Bishop of Rochester, uh, who had a show called Life is Worth Living. And um, yeah, I think so. He was very dramatic. Uh, he knew how to captivate people, and he had a great sense of humor, too. I mean, there were a lot of funny lines. He said that um, John Twenty-Third once said to him, uh, John was great sort of avatar for holy humor, he once said to Fulton Sheen, God knew from all eternity that I would be Pope. Why did he make me so ugly? <laughs> uh, I want to thank you. Um, I'll tell you one more joke, and then we'll wrap up. And I'd like to ask you to keep me in uh, your prayers. Um, so uh, I had a sister come up to me once and say, how come you never tell any sister's jokes? And um, I said, well, I can't tell sisters jokes because, you know, I'm, I'm only going to tell Catholic priests and Jesuit jokes. I'm not going to tell a joke about sisters. She said, here's a joke you can tell. So there's, um, there's 20 sisters in a convent in Philadelphia, and they're all given tickets to a Phillies game. And they're cloistered, and so they're really excited. So they go, they go to the Phillies game. They're really excited. They, they have, they're all in this, uh, this row, you know, near the, near the railing, and they all get their red hats, and they got the big foam fingers and everything, and they got t-shirts, and so they're really excited, and there are these diehard Phillies fans right behind them, three of them, and uh, 
So the game starts and the Philly Fanatic comes out and the sister's are like, woo, and they're waving the Philly Fanatic and the guys behind them are getting a little crazy. And then there's this double and all the sisters jump up and start screaming and high-fiving and waving their fingers and throwing their hats up and go Phillies. And, and one of the diehard Phillies fans says, you know, I think I'm gonna move to the more expensive seats where maybe there's only 10 nuns and I might be able to see some of the ball game. <laughs> So the sisters get very upset and very abashed, and the mother superior asks them to sit down. Then the next inning, there's a triple, and they do the wave, and they're throwing their popcorn, and they're high-fiving, they're having a great time. And the second diehard Phillies fan says, I think I'm going to go to the really expensive seats, and maybe there's only five nuns there. Maybe then I'll be able to see the game. So they're really embarrassed, and they sit down again, and they're trying to be really quiet. As a grand slam home run, Sisters go nuts, you know, the fanatic comes out, the scoreboard goes off, and they're high-fiving, they're doing the wave, they're throwing their hats, and finally the th third diehard fan says, you know what, I think I'm going to go to the box seats. Maybe there's only two nuns there, and I'll finally be able to see some of this game. And the mother superior turns around and says, I have an idea for you. Why don't you go to hell? There's no nuns there. <laughs> This podcast is brought to you by Villanova University on iTunes U. Please visit us on itunes.villanova.edu.